benefit from your breakup. Don't just move on, move up. What if you could make your worst breakup the best thing that ever happened to you? Gone will be the nights you stay up wondering what went wrong. Gone are the countless nights at bars, drinking to your sorrows that refuse to go away. Get ready to flush the agonizing pain down the drain. Instead, acquire the superhuman strength and overpowering self-confidence that reinvents your life, using your breakup as a launch pad to make your life without her better than it ever was with her. Broken hearts hold men back from their best lives. When you can't stop thinking about her or what you could have done differently, whether it was yesterday or 10 years ago, what do you do when you're depressed and no one cares because you're not a chick? Leave behind all confusion, emotional pain, and withdrawals with this book. What you'll discover in this book is how to shed yourself of the self-defeating behaviors, how to expunge yourself of emotional pain, the most powerful tool to take back your life, the most effective thoughts to quicken your recovery, simple yet proven techniques that stop the moping and rumination in their tracks, and a clear roadmap to building a better life that will make her wish she didn't dump you so she could still be part of it. The risk of heartbreak exists even when you're single or in a happy relationship, but the wisdom of this book will make you immune to the pain that risk presents. No woman on earth will ever be able to hold sway over you when you understand this wisdom. Learn to attract new women, build a better life without her, and become more than you ever were before. An end to the pain is just a click away at reinventideal.com slash breakup. Get your copy today. Benefit from your breakup. Don't just move on, move up. At reinventideal.com slash breakup. You're listening to Reinvent Ideal, dating and life advice for men. So you're struggling though, you need some help? The wisdom you need when you're depressed and no one cares because you're not a chick. While we're all enjoying our day, we're going to lose 12 men to suicide today. Your weekly red pill prescription. It's a place for unguarded conversations to investigate with a council of men the riddles of life. With Cairo Copeland. So on today's program, what we really want to talk about is one-itis or these myths that we believe, these stories we tell ourselves that this one girl that we're chasing and have our sights set on is in fact the best and most perfect girl out there for us and no one else will do. They being human, we're biologically and neurologically hardwired to bond with others, and it's so much to the point where we crave it constantly. When those bonds are severed, we can't handle it. But to further fuel this need, it's become a social imperative that you find a woman that's right for you and you marry her and stay married forever. In order for society to push this imperative, tropes were invented to normalize their ideas, but they're just myths. And the main one is the soulmate myth. Romeo and Juliet is often held up as the ideal example of unconditional love. The romance story written by Shakespeare is celebrated for its depiction of it. Because, you see, the two title characters in the uh, play loved each other so much that they literally could not live without each other. And that's the romantic ideal that's always viewed as pure and right and just. Now, if you haven't uh, seen the play or seen the movies, I'll summarize the story for you real quick. Romeo's family and Juliet's family hate each other 
But Romeo and Juliet love each other, and they have a steamy affair behind their family's backs and fall in love. Juliet's family finds out and is forcing her to marry a man that she doesn't love, so she fakes her death with a sleeping potion, and the message of it being fake never reaches Romeo. So he hears about it and believes it to be genuine and kills himself because of it. And when Juliet wakes up and finds Romeo dead, she kills herself too. The end. And that real romantic. And women drag their husbands and boyfriends to the stage performances of this tragedy, and they grudgingly go to appease her and find it... I guess they find it bearable when they realize that it's just a bunch of sex and violence. It is a pretty cool story. And uh, you see a lot of uh, other movies are based off of uh, that story, like uh, the movie Underworld. That's basically uh, what Romeo and Juliet is. It's based off of that loosely. Uh, the women enjoy it more than the men, though, because they find it to be a glorious celebration of unconditional love. These are two people who felt they were so right for each other that they couldn't exist apart. But here's the thing, is this play is not a celebration of love. It's a damnation of it. You see, what Shakespeare is showing us with this tragedy is how close love is to insanity. These two kids lived otherwise privileged lives and just ended them over the fact that they couldn't have each other in them. Both of them are quite the catch for their respective genders and could have easily had others, but they pissed their lives away and deemed it to be unworthy of living for that fact. You see, Shakespeare didn't mean to say unconditional love like this should be sought after. He was saying it should be avoided like the plague because it makes you do really stupid things. When you, as a male, think those weak-minded thoughts of, oh, I can't live without her, you're going to do really stupid stuff too. Yet we persist in this social imperative that there is someone we're meant to be with, a soulmate, if you will. And that's what Romeo and Juliet were. If they were with anyone else, they were with the wrong person. They were meant to be with each other. No one in the audience dared question who deemed them to be meant to be, or on what authority it was deemed with, and who gave this anonymous authority its power. Just as we, following the social imperative to search for a soulmate, are not given any solid framework to confirm the find, we're supposed to just know that they're the one. If there is no definite standard to determine who can be the one other than to just know it, how can you ever know it? How can there ever be a one? most objective truth is that there cannot be. There is no one. There are many good ones, and there are many bad ones. There's even some average ones. But there is no one. No soulmate. It's a myth. It's a trope. It's just an idea that is being pushed around by social imperatives. And if you adopt this mindset as early as possible, it will liberate you from a life of bad decisions. And some of those bad decisions can be irreversible. This mindset will rid you of one-itis and the pains that come with it. The strange concept of there being a soulmate out there somewhere for everyone, it seems to have the strongest resilience of any mythology. I mean, I've known many deeply skeptical people who didn't buy into any superstitions, uh, they were atheists and against all religion, and they certainly uh, laughed at people that believed in astrology. But even they believed they had a soulmate out there for them. Maybe it was their current relationship, or you know, if they were single, they still believed there was one out there in the world waiting for them. But soulmate mythology is just, it's so strong because I think a lot of it comes from our biology. We were hardwired to want to bond with others and our egos want us to believe that we make the best bonds possible. So because it's in our biology, wouldn't that make it true then? That everybody has a soulmate? I mean, its presence in our genetics and neurology must make it meant to be part of the human experience, right? If everything from our blood to our brains screams at us that we must find our one, 
How can there not be such a one? I'll tell you why. And that's because you cannot expect someone to know how to love you precisely in the manner that you hope, wish, and expect to be loved. I mean, look at the two different views of Shakespeare's play. There's celebration of love and damnation of it. They are wildly different and certainly not the only views of it. So while it would seem the message of such a play is explicit, opinions on the meaning of it differ. The same goes for a concept as complicated as love. Opinions on the meaning of it are different person to person. You got some people that love idealistically, like the hopeless romantic, but then some also love opportunistically, viewing each relationship from a mere utilitarian standpoint of a thought that we associate a lot with hypergamy, and that's the thinking of a person going, you know what, am I getting the best I possibly can get? Is this person I'm with the best I can do? Now perhaps there's even a little bit of both conceptions in every person, idealistic and opportunistic, and one may be more dominant than the other. Like inside the soul of each potential lover, these conceptions of love go to war, and one of them may win the battle temporarily, but the war continues forever for the rest of their lives. Just the idea of the soulmate perpetuates the idea of opportunistic love. I mean, suppose you found someone you thought was your one at the time, but later into the relationship, you started to have doubts about that. Well, you're not a bad person for doing so because it's perfectly human. The real fear built into your biology is that you are now possibly missing out on the right one and only settled for the one you have now. If someone far better for you really did come along and stepped into your life while you were with the person you settled with, wouldn't that alone cause you to love your settlement less? And if so, doesn't that clearly demonstrate that they are not the one? An idealist might say, well, you can find out what your partner's conception of love is. All you have to do is communicate. See, that's the solution from every marriage therapist. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Even this advice fails. While we humans are blessed with the ability to communicate with each other in a way that other animals are not, it's still incredibly hard to transfer one piece of information from one mind to another. I mean, use this as an example. I can sit here and tap with my finger the rhythm to a song that everyone knows. So, let's see, what would be a song everyone knows? Uh, how about the National Anthem? I won't tap out the whole thing. But suppose I'm tapping here with my finger the National Anthem. In my head, I hear every note. But to you people listening, you would only know that that's what I was doing if I said so. That's how hard it is to transfer information from one mind to another. So that being true of something as easily recognizable as a song, it's more difficult to transfer information from one mind to another regarding the complex concept of love. One's conception of it is often born out of examples of it that they've experienced, such as their parents. Is it at all likely that their parents loved each other the same way your parents did? And if so, is it at all likely that it had the same level of influence on them as you, and they drew the same conclusions from it as you? The belief in the soulmate is crippling, particularly to the young. They're going to invest so much of their time and money and emotions and energy into a partner that isn't a good fit for them because they want to believe they've found their soulmates, like a woman that stays with an asshole boyfriend when everyone knows she could do better. The investment made up to this point is so great that abandoning it now would be so drastic a change to affect their mental stability. It's like that sunken cost fallacy again. And it becomes particularly dangerous when irreversible decisions are made under the belief 
of soulmate mythology or decisions that are expensive to take back, like getting married. The believer is now trapped in a no-win scenario. If they're unhappy in their current relationship and more unhappiness will be created getting out of it, they're stuck. I find it so strange that we strive for independence in all other aspects of our lives, like financial independence and social freedom and work-life balance, but people are so gleeful to surrender their independence to another person for the sake of love. Especially guys. Guys are quick to boast about how independent they are. But they so easily give up that independence for the supposed love of a woman. They're going to hand over their mental stability and emotional dependency to this person's mercy without a second thought. And at any moment, they can crush it without a second thought. So I'm telling you to save yourself the pain and drop your belief in the one. There is no one. You will find some that are good, some that are better than others, and some that are not. But there's no need to find one that's perfect against them all. You'll find life to be a lot less stressful and the pool of potentials to be a lot larger. And this is not to advocate the MGTOW path. You don't need to divorce women from your life entirely. But you are best served to divorce yourself from the burning desire within you to find the one that will love you in the manner you expect to be loved. And one-itis is a complete mindset killer. One-itis and the scarcity mindset is something that's going to really drive you insane throughout your life. And we're going to talk about eight ways to break free from this crippling, limited mindset. There are four words that are absolutely deadly to your possibility of becoming irresistible, becoming a high-quality man, and becoming alluring to be the man that she's been waiting her whole life to meet. And if you utter these four words, you want to stop yourself right where you are and just come back and listen to this episode. The four words are, there's this one girl. Now, when I was coaching, quite often I'd hear that phrase from my clients. They would say, there's this one girl. Cairo, there's this one girl that I just gotta have. I've been chasing after her for a while, or I've known her for a long time, and I know she's just right for me. She's perfect. And it's a sign of one of the biggest problems they have, a scarcity mindset. And that's why I have such a huge problem with the dating apps, is that they will create a scarcity mindset for you. And this mindset is the enemy of being alluring, being irresistible. It makes you believe you have limited options in dating. And since all behavior stems from a certain belief, this belief will surely bleed out into your behavior. Women will notice this, and they'll be naturally repelled by it. The belief begins to fester when you've met the supposed girl of your dreams, and she inspires new dreams. When you've married her in your head, and you've played out a whole life with her in your fantasies, you must fight yourself when your mind wants to do that. Believing that she is your last best hope for love will cause you to make desperate moves and constantly seek her attention and approval and make you look needier than ever. And all of it will cause her to lose any attraction for you that she otherwise would have had. I had a client once that had this problem where he'd finally get a girl on a dating site to reply to his messages and they'd start something, maybe even go on a first date together. Or there'd be a new single girl at his job. Or when he finally got the courage to start approaching them in public and one showed interest, he'd do the same with her. He'd stop searching through all of his other options and just fixate on this one girl. He'd wrap his head around the idea of her being his saving grace. He was like, oh, finally, I can relax and get out of these stupid dating games. So he stopped looking at other girls, stopped putting himself out there, and stopped working on himself to be more attractive. You can guess where this went. You see, the best employees that are seen as 
indispensable to a business are the ones that never stop trying to become more qualified for the job they already have. And the best irresistible high-quality man has the same mindset even when he's deep in a relationship. And he certainly doesn't need to stop when he has five women interested in him at the same time. Otherwise, how can he be sure that these five out of the 3.5 billion out there are the best five that he can have? And this isn't to piss on monogamy or promote the player lifestyle, but to shatter the scarcity mindset. Believing you have limited options with women will make you tolerate a lot more shit from them, and it is built into their subconscious to throw shit at you specifically to see how many options you have. When they sense you have too few, they lose attraction for you. It's just the nature of females. They want other women to want you, or they want the guy that other women want. For what logical reason would they want those expensive, uncomfortable shoes? Or the $4,000 handbag that serves no purpose greater than a $5 handbag? Or why do they wear dresses they don't even like? It's because other women like it, and they are the exact same way with men. So this one client of mine would put up with so much shit from these girls that he got a little further with than fake numbers and ignored messages online. And he feared they would be hurt if he didn't text them, good morning, beautiful, every day, or attempt to have a long phone conversation with them each night. He even put up with flakes on dates at the last minute. He worried that if he didn't constantly remind them of his interest, they would move on. What you gotta tell yourself is that no woman is too valuable that you must lower yourself to this level. You are valuable too, and she's perfectly capable of picking up the phone and calling you. And if she doesn't, she's the one not worthy, because you are the prize. All the time and energy that my client wasted on one woman, he could have easily found 10 more. Which brings up the most important point of this episode. Women are not scarce, but your time is. Perhaps the greatest negative effect of the scarcity mindset, or one-itis, or the soulmate myth, or just believing that there's this one girl, is that you will read deep into everything she does for meaning that's not even there. You find yourself asking, she touched me for a millisecond longer than usual. That means something, doesn't it? When you see her talk to another guy, you're going to think, oh my god, what's going on there? Or when she just mentions another guy, you question why she does and makes it impossible to have any fun with her when you're around her. Confirmation bias determines that when you look for evidence of anything you already believe, you will find it. With your focus on just one girl, you likely are not in the most confident mindset. So you have limiting beliefs. And as you analyze her actions, you'll find confirmations of those limiting beliefs within them. Or perhaps the opposite is true. You're of the mind that lies to yourself about where you stand with her and use everything as a confirmation of progress toward getting what you want. When really, all you're doing is feeding the fairy tale in your mind instead of doing anything to make it a reality. And for damn sure, she will do nothing to bring it closer to reality for you. The fantasy is comforting for sure. It continually perpetuates itself by saying, Just a little more patience. A little more effort. Soon you'll have what you want. I want to encourage you to adopt a different mindset. You see, the world views you as disposable just because you're male. I want you to adopt the mindset that everybody else in the whole world is disposable. Every other inhabitant is disposable. Not in the sense of, hey, I don't care if they're alive or dead, but in the sense of, they don't need to have a place in my life. It's not a matter of, I must keep them in my life. I don't have to keep them taking my time, energy, attention, and money. I don't owe them anything like that. They are disposable in that sense because they're not scarce. And that is the abundance mindset. It is completely natural, of course, for you to fall for the trap of believing that 
There is only one girl that can be your saving grace and guardian angel. Throughout most of a guy's life, he's liked girls and had experienced little to no reciprocity from them, but probably lots of rejection. So when one finally likes you back, you take this experience as a rare occasion that needs to be prolonged. But what you should do instead is have an abundance mindset that tells you otherwise. If it doesn't work out for this one girl, then that's her loss, because there are 100 of them right behind her. Some might even be better. This isn't a theory in the mind or a leap of faith in your heart. It's a fact that you know you can easily rely on because you've experienced it firsthand. And that's what we want to talk about next here is how do you confirm that there is abundance out there? I want to show you how to confirm it. Just a few things you can do here. There's eight things right off the bat. If you want to see that there is an unlimited supply of beautiful women in this world, do the following things. First, go to a beach. It won't be long before your eyes wander everywhere. You're going to see them all over the place in there. And they want you to notice them. The second thing, learn how to dance. You should be doing that anyway. But once you learn how to dance, wherever you go with this skill, from the classroom to the club, you'll find women you want to get that close to. Third thing, go to a yoga class. I mean, this is one place where it is guaranteed that the women will outnumber the men, especially if it's acro yoga. I remember going to acro yoga classes and the problem that we had was there weren't enough guys. There were too many girls because you're supposed to pair up a man and a woman. They're supposed to get paired up to do acro yoga together. But they had the problem of there's too many girls that want to take this class and not enough guys. And those guys that were taking it, we were just like, hey, that's a good problem to have. And the same is true with dancing when uh, you go to dance classes. Fourth thing, go to a college campus. You can't sneeze without knocking over a beautiful girl because you know what the empowerment mandate and the social imperatives are doing today saying, oh yes, girls need to get educated. So that we're going to have all these scholarships that are sending them to school and all of these grants and all of this public funding to send them to school to get stupid degrees. But it just shows you that there are so many of them out there. Or fifth thing, go to a mall. And it's a stereotype that women love to shop, but there must be some degree of truth to the stereotype because otherwise it would not exist. And I'll tell you what, every time I've been to one, I've seen them everywhere. It's nothing but women everywhere. The sixth thing you can do is look at your city's statistics. It's very likely that you're going to find the population to be disproportionately female. Every 30 seconds, a girl turns 18. And every 36 seconds, a woman in her late 20s to early 30s is getting divorced. And that's the seventh thing you can do is uh, go to Google marriage statistics for your age group. You're likely to find that marriage is on the decline, so single women are abound. And the eighth thing you can do is challenge yourself to commit to meeting 1,000 women in a year, whether it be through cold approach or through your social circle or friend introductions, whatever. Just the act of doing this will convince you that there are plenty of options for you. It's a numbers game, and you'll find that if you're more committed to the goal of 1,000 meets, you'll pick up some unexpected but pleasant surprises along the way. If you don't believe me that there's an abundance out there, try these eight things. I guarantee you, you'll become convinced. Now, the next thing here is when you catch yourself saying the four deadly words, stop yourself and say, okay, she may seem great right now, but I don't know everything about her. And she's still a human being, no different from me. I mean, she has to piss and shit and shave her pits. So not exactly an angel from heaven. Further, remind yourself that feelings change over time. Perhaps you've experienced this rush from someone before and then later lost those feelings. As the relationship devolved into arguments about stupid things like leaving the toilet seat up. 
but look at other women too. Whenever you catch yourself saying, there's this one girl, look for the most beautiful woman around you in your vicinity and say to her, excuse me, ma'am, uh, you're not good enough for me because that's essentially what you're doing. Now, of course, in reality, you're not going to do this, but do look for the most beautiful woman you can find at the moment and think that phrase exactly. You'll find yourself thinking how stupid it is to say that because she is quite the catch. And this works especially well on a woman that you would otherwise think to be way out of your league. And the idea behind this is to just get your mind off of the one girl. When you think a ridiculous thought like this about another clearly beautiful woman, you'll start looking at her and finding reasons as to why she may be good enough for you. And if you can muster up the gall to go talk to her, then you'll do an even better job of destroying your one girl obsession. Now, something that a lot of other dating coaches would do is they'd tell their clients to establish a list of must-haves or non-negotiables to keep yourself from falling for the trap of one-itis. They come up with this list of things that they hope the next girlfriend they have, that she'll have these traits. Maybe like three or four things that she must have in order to become yours. And they tell you to be firm about this list. Call them deal breakers or whatever you want. The point of this exercise is not to be firm about a list of anything, but to establish a standard and a baseline. See, establishing a standard not only prevents you from settling and getting too invested in one person, but it also helps increase your value. Things only have value if other people believe they do. You know, gold, for example, is supposedly valuable only because other people think it has it. During a crisis like the apocalypse, it is unclear how gold will help anyone, but the apocalypse preparers still hold it, and that's because they believe it has value. You must get others to believe that you have value as well. But how do you do that? I mean, first, you start with yourself. You treat yourself like you're the client of your own matchmaking company, and you promised your client nothing less than ideal compatibility because this client is just so valuable to your business. But another thing that you really got to do is you got to forge better friendships. You see, the forces of nature that cause you to experience this are a chemical reaction in the brain to loneliness. Craving the attention and affection of the one girl is a coping mechanism the brain has for when you feel lonely. And attacking the disease at its source will suffice, and the source is the social disconnection. Now, in a future episode here, I want to talk about establishing a social circle and how that is far more important for you than even talking to women. This is a big part of it. As you see, romantic love is not the only thing that can fill the void created by loneliness. Creating a strong social circle where emotional support is given out freely will flip the emotional pain and problem on its head. Instead of you feeling agony over your unfulfilled cravings for this woman, she will crave your company when she sees how happy you are in your group of friends. This is the social animal instincts that evolution built into us thousands of years ago, and we all crave that acceptance. Even this one girl that's just so amazing. She has those instincts deep down and those desires deep down to be accepted in a social circle. So when you have established your own and she sees it, she's going to want that and she's going to want you. And that is it for us today. I hope this has been helpful for you. And if I can be more helpful, let me know at Cairo at reinventideal.com. That's Cairo at reinventideal.com. And I'll make you a deal. If you leave me a review, wherever it is you listen to this podcast, and you screenshot that review and send it to me in an email to Cairo at reinventideal.com, that's Cairo at reinventideal.com, I will send you a copy of my free ebook, The Drama Free Relationship. 
how to tame and train your girlfriend. Because here's the deal. In today's world, you do have to condition bad habits out of a woman that you are in a long-term relationship with, a woman that you choose to make your girlfriend. You're going to have to condition bad habits out of her. This book will show you how to avoid much of the drama and pain that could inevitably be caused based on the conditioning that she has received prior to being in a relationship with you. So that's the drama-free relationship. How to tame and train your girlfriend. I will send it to you for free if you send me a screenshot of your review to Cairo at reinventideal.com. Please remember that the bull gets blocked right here because I am my brother's keeper and I got your back. Thank you for listening to Reinvent Ideal with Cairo Copeland. Your weekly red pill prescription. See more at reinventideal.com. Benefit from your breakup. Don't just move on, move up. What if you could make your worst breakup the best thing that ever happened to you? Gone will be the nights you stay up wondering what went wrong. Gone are the countless nights at bars, drinking to your sorrows that refuse to go away. Get ready to flush the agonizing pain down the drain. Instead, acquire the superhuman strength and overpowering self-confidence that reinvents your life using your breakup as a launch pad to make your life without her better than it ever was with her. Broken hearts hold men back from their best lives. When you can't stop thinking about her or what you could have done differently, whether it was yesterday or 10 years ago, what do you do when you're depressed and no one cares because you're not a chick? Leave behind all confusion, emotional pain, and withdrawals with this book. What you'll discover in this book is how to shed yourself of the self-defeating behaviors, how to expunge yourself of emotional pain, the most powerful tool to take back your life, the most effective thoughts to quicken your recovery, simple yet proven techniques that stop the moping and rumination in their tracks, and a clear roadmap to building a better life that will make her wish she didn't dump you so she could still be part of it. The risk of heartbreak exists even when you're single or in a happy relationship, but the wisdom of this book will make you immune to the pain that risk presents. No woman on earth will ever be able to hold sway over you when you understand this wisdom. Learn to attract new women, build a better life without her, and become more than you ever were before. An end to the pain is just a click away at reinventideal.com slash breakup. Get your copy today. Benefit from your breakup. Don't just move on, move up. At reinventideal.com slash breakup.